This morning, I wanna, I'm, I'm hoping to finish up the little series that we unofficially started a number of weeks ago on priorities. And uh, today, I want to continue to talk a little bit about that. We've been speaking and acknowledging the fact that we are in a battle establishing godly priorities and convictions in our life. And uh, it's important that we recognize that, that we can be victorious in our Christian walk, that we can um, have the victory here, that we do not have to be taken captive by the enemy. And today we're going to talk about our thoughts and how important it is that we have priorities in taking our thoughts captive. Because we can talk about things like this, and it's easy to talk about, but you know, it's hard sometimes to put into application what we've been studying. So today I want to make this a practical guide to how we can make priorities in our thinking and in our patterns of life. So we're going to talk this morning about the power of thoughts. The power. In fact, this is one of the major differences in how God created man from all the other things that he created that have breath. And that is that we're created in the image of God. And what does that really mean? Being created in the image of God is not having the eyes and the nose and the ears of God. That's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about the way that men can think the way God thinks. Your dog and your cats and your other animal pets, they're fun and they're great and they're part of the family. I get that. But they don't think like you think. They don't have, they don't have the power to process right and wrong and good and moral issues and immoral issues like we do. That's why we're unique, because we're, we're given the power to think and to make decisions and to be responsible for our thoughts. So that's kind of where we're going today, that we're going to be responsible for how God sets us apart, that our thought process is really the, the major thing that set us apart, and that we have the power to think about anything we want to think about. And that no one has the power to take away that, po- that, that freedom, that we are totally in control. So thus, the battle begins for our soul in the mind. The battle for your soul begins between your two ears, <laughs> behind your eyeballs. <laughs> the thing that setting on our shoulders that big gray matter mass, that's where the battle begins. It begins in our minds. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. So our text today is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and here's the most important part and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we dive into your word here that we truly want to understand what it means to have the weapons at our disposal that can defeat the enemy. That we do not have to be a victim, that we truly can be victorious. So I pray, Father, that you give us the understanding of what it means to take thoughts captive, that we would understand what it really means to be in control of the thoughts that we think and how important that is that we line them up with your word. 
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're beginning our discussion this morning by understanding that we truly are to live in the world, but that doesn't mean that we are to be of the world. Living in the world and accepting what the world does are two different things. John um, records the prayer of Jesus. Jesus prayed this for his disciples and ultimately for us as well. He prayed this in John chapter 17, beginning at verse 14. He says, I have given, this is Jesus speaking, he's, he's praying to his Father in heaven, I have given them, that them is us, I, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Jesus understood the conflict of living in the world, but yet not being of the world. He understood that he had a mission and his role was to be here and to live as a man so that he then could be the sacrifice to cover the sins of mankind. So he had a role to be here. He didn't ask God to rescue him when times got tough. And he's not asking God to rescue us or take us out of the world when time gets rough. Rather, he's asking the Father that the Father would give us the wherewithal and the power to live in the world but not be impacted or not be controlled by the world. And that's what we're going to talk about today and how important it is our thought life is when it comes to that. I like the way author J. Warner Wallace puts it regarding the difference between living in the world and being of the world. It's interesting that J. Warner Wallace was a man that I met and I sat next to. I sat with him, actually, at, at one of the weekend conferences that w when I was going through the Colson Fellows program. He was one of the speakers, and, and I met him and I talked to him, so it's kind of, kind of meaningful to me. He says, in the world, his is, this is his definition of being what it means to be in the world. It's our point of location. Paul was right when he said that we would have to leave the world altogether if we wanted to truly separate ourselves from immoral, worldly people. That's not what God is asking us to do. The fact that you might be in a location where your Christian worldview is being challenged is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, God may have placed you there so that you can have a positive impact on those who don't yet know Jesus, or at least learn more about the culture so you can influence it later. That's what it means to be in the world. In fact, that's what you and I are supposed to be doing. You have jobs in the world, and you are there for a purpose to impact that culture for Jesus. Whereas being of the world, he goes on to say, being of the world can be, can be defined this way. To be of the world would mean it's our source of information. J. Warner Wallace says, My concern is the repeated exposure to the worldly worldview having an impact on my worldview as a Christian. If it is starting to change the way I think. Listen to this. It's one thing to be located in these environments. It's another thing to draw from them as a source for information and behavior. Do you catch what he's trying to say? We can be in the world, but once the world starts impacting the way I think, impacting the way you think about what's right, what standards are right, 
what standards do we live by? The, the shaking, the shaky, and the, the, the relative-based morality of the world, or do we stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ? He goes on to say that he guards himself this way by saying, I am less concerned with my point of location than I am with my source of information. I often place myself in locations where non-Christian culture worldviews are strong. And I'm still curious and adventurous enough to choose locations that are unfriendly to Christianity. I step away only when I recognize the environment is starting to change the way I think. I back off when I realize my point of location has become my source of information. And that's our situation today. Our situation is that we cannot take ourselves out of the world, but we are to carefully guard ourselves from what we take from the world. Make sense? I can't take myself out of worldly environments. If I did, I would be ineffective. I wouldn't be able to win others for Christ. In fact, we were talking about it earlier this morning when the worship team were practicing that the role of a church, the role, your role in life is to go out into the highways and the byways and to be an example for Christ and actually make Christians out of non-Christians in your workplace. The sheep make the sheep. But then we bring him into the church where the shepherd can help feed and guide and direct. It's not the shepherd's job to make the sheep, is it? The shepherd only guards the sheep, prepares food for the sheep, protects them, but sheep make sheep. And I also am a sheep, right? I'm not putting myself out of that class. It's my responsibility to go into the world that I can go into as a sheep and witness to people and to be effective with people around the people that I can have effectiveness with. And I can share Jesus with them outside of this building. If we just made church the point of location of where we're going to get people saved, how are they going to get saved? They don't come in thinking that. The only way we get them here is we have to save them out there. That's our job. We have to make sure that we're in the culture but not being impacted by the culture so that it would weaken or that it would um, take away our influence. And, you, and you, it takes away your influence by compromising with the culture. We've been talking a lot, a lot about that over the past few weeks when it comes to our priorities, having godly convictions. So the point of this message here is to help us guard our lives and to put ourselves in a proactive position to battle Satan and his in, evil influence in our lives and in this world. And like I said at the beginning of the service this morning, at the beginning of this message, that it's easier to talk about this than to actually take action. And we need to understand that our weapons are not carnal. And the weapons that we're given by God are very powerful. If we go back to verse 4 in our text, it says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strong arguments or, to, or demolish strongholds. So what, what does this mean? What does that mean? Our warfare, our main source of conflict in life is, is not with other people. Let me just tell you that right now. Maybe you already know that. But it's not our, our battle, our conflict is not with people, but it's against the spiritual forces of evil. And that begins in our minds because that's where the struggle begins. It starts in our minds. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not against people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the, hel- in the heavenly realms. And in a simple sentence, it says that our battles are not with people, but with the power of Satan and his demons and how they are striving to control your thoughts. That's what the devil, that's how he defeats you. He defeats you in the mind. He doesn't come against you from a physical force more than most of the time. He doesn't come against you with a, uh, something that you can see and feel and touch, but he comes with you with thoughts and pretensions and, and, and arguments and doubts and fears, and they begin in the mind. Even though people irritate us and even though people can drive us crazy, and I know that, but they're not the enemy. They're in the same predicament that you and I are in, and we need to treat people in that way. The tools that we use when we deal with people that are giving us problems are not the tools that we would think. In other words, the tools that we use, if we're in our carnal nature, the tools that we we use would, would hurt people. And those tools don't set people free. Anger and anger don't set people free. Fighting fire with fire doesn't set people free. We might feel good for the moment after telling somebody off because they cut us off on the highway or they did something stupid and we we tell them off. It might make us feel good for the moment. But that's still going to leave them and me, them and you, with an emptiness and a loneliness and a brokenness because broken people even though we think we may be winning the battle, don't heal a broken soul when we use the weapons of our flesh. This is important. Hurting people hurt people. True? And it's true because broken and hurting people think the way to treat others is the same way that they were treated when they got hurt. (laughs) And therefore, it begins a vicious cycle because They're only doing what they were trained to do. They were hurt. Maybe they didn't have a good upbringing. They didn't have good parents. They didn't have something happen in their life. They were, lots of bad things happened. And so now they get on this vicious cycle to say, well, the way I deal with people is to deal the way I was dealt with, and I got hurt, and so therefore I'm going to hurt somebody else because that's all I know. And it becomes a vicious cycle. And the reality is that Jesus is the only cycle breaker here. Jesus is the only way that we can break this cycle of dealing with people, learning how to deal with his tools that he brings, and that's love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and self-control and all the, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And if we don't get on that, understand that, we will never get on the right path. And, and he's the only way that truly God will give us the ability to deal with the brokenness of the world around us. So going back to verse 5 of our text, it says that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive. Our main role in this battle plan, battle plan is to take captive the thoughts that we have and then, then to make them obedient to Christ. There's a lot of work here. There's a lot of things here. And this is where our, responsi- our, our responsibility begins, and that is by taking responsibility for our thoughts and not allowing them to run our life, not allowing the thoughts that we have to have control over us 
because whatever thoughts come in may not be of God. I will tell you right now, the enemy is very strong in his influence in our thought patterns. He plants all kinds of evil in our minds. And if we give him the opportunity, then we will make the poor choices that will follow. Because we'll follow the thoughts. If we're not wise in how we deal with these thoughts, then he will run over us. And the enemy plants inside of my mind what causes most problems between people. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? Does it make sense? The battle for the mind of a person is the major area that Satan wants to win. If he can control the mind, then he can control the person. Romans chapter 6, Paul says it this way. Don't you, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. When Satan controls the mind, he has control of the body. And that means death. Right? It begins in our mind. We need to be very, we need to be very direct here. I mean, I, this is where we need to make sure that we don't um, cover this over and make us feel like it's just a, a nice thing to suggest. But we need to recognize that we need to be responsible for our thoughts. We need to take responsibility. We need to own them. I can blame no man. I can blame no person when it comes to what I'm thinking about. I'm totally in control of my thoughts, and you are too. People can overpower me in other aspects of my person. I mean, a stronger man can wrestle me to the ground and pin me down so that I can't move. If I was wrestling with Dan, I wouldn't have a chance. I mean, he's a big boy. And if he got me down to the ground, if he wants to control me physically, he can a smarter man may be able to outscore me on an exam or may be able to do a better job on, in, my, in my occupation and, and take my, my promotion that I thought I deserved. Uh, you know, I can be controlled that way. Or a man with more money may be able to be, outbuy me and, and those kind of things. But the power of the human thought process, no matter what is happening on the exterior, no man can make me think thoughts I don't want to think. Or it can stop me from thinking the thoughts that I want to think. Recognize that. It's how important that is. Now, I can influence you. I can influence you by what you think, but I can't control what you think. In other words, I put up this slide, right? And the first thing you do is you read the slide. Uh, so I can influence your thoughts. But I can't control your attitude about what you're reading. You might look at that and say, oh, you could be real cynical about that. You could look at that and say, I don't believe that. You could look at that and it could make you mad or it could make you glad. You could accept it or you could reject it. Basically, what, what, I'm, what this is saying is that this is determining how teachable you are or how unteachable you are or how unreachable a person could be. That's how powerful the human thinking is. It's, it's uncontrollable by any other person other than a person thinking the thoughts. So to be instructed by the word to take our thoughts captive is a very important command and the wise man will listen and heed this warning and this instruction. So how do we do this? What does it look like to take our thoughts captive? 
I want to I want to share the next few minutes. I want to share some things that we can do. All right. Number one. Number one. Be aware that your mind is the major battleground of and for your life. All right. You have to recognize that the mind is the battleground. You will have thoughts that come in your mind from a couple different sources. One of the sources will be your own sinful nature. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that we are sinful as we're born. Our nature is not good. We are a sinful creation as we're born because of sin. It's not the way God wanted it. It's not the way he started it, but sin got in. And so now our sinful nature, our carnal nature, the things that we come from within us are, are not godly on their own. Secondly, they will also come from the enemy. So it doesn't make any difference, the source of the thought. You have the power, whether it's from yourself or from the enemy, you and I have the power of choice to think about it and to dwell on it or to take control of it and to disregard it. Your choice. You have the power. The old Flip Wilson saying, remember, remember Flip Wilson? Who remembers Flip Wilson? What did he say that was so funny? The what? The devil made me do it. Yeah, Flip Wilson, the devil made me. That is so untrue. <laughs> but it sounded cute and it's kind of funny. The devil did not make me do it. He's, he can influence me and he can give me all the, the, the evil influences, but I cannot blame the devil for the bad things that I think about or the bad things that I do because I'm responsible. And you're responsible. So until we understand that, it, it, we, we can't get help. And a, a person can't help themselves until they want to be helped. Right? So we have to recognize. So that's, that's the basis. I want, you to, I want us all to understand that that's the basis. But there's good news. And the good news is that we don't have to be, we don't have to be trapped. We don't have to be taken control by our ungodly thoughts. We don't have to be a slave to our thoughts. That we have the power to control our mind. And it's important also to know that when you have a temptation to come into your mind, because we all have them, that's not a sin. The sin is not in the temptation. And why do I say that? Because wasn't Jesus tempted? Didn't Jesus spend 40 days in the desert severely tempted by the enemy? Don't you think Jesus was tempted all of his life? But yet, did he sin? No. So it's not the temptation, it's the sin, is it? It's the giving in to the temptation. It's when we recognize that we want to play with it or let it give it an opportunity to, to take root in our life and the temptation then can quickly turn into a sin if we're not careful. But temptation itself is not a sin. Recognize that God is on our side. Second Thessalonians first second I'm sorry, Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse three says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. I like what my Bible commentary says about this. It says that when God's people pray in truth and with a burning passion, well, we got to stop there for a minute. When God's people pray, if we just said when God's people pray and then expect the good things, people pray to a lot of different gods. <laughs> they, they pray in untruth many times. So it's really important that when God's people pray in truth and with a burning passion, they can be assured that God will protect them from Satan. God will strengthen them to face any temptation that may come against them, and he will protect them from demonic powers. I am so thankful that I'm not in this alone. And, and I'm thankful that, I, that God just didn't send me on my way and say, good luck, I'll see you in 
at the end of your life and then we'll see how you did. Oh, man, that would be hopeless. He's here for us. If, and if I will only um, pray in truth and with a burning passion to say, God, I only want what you want. Would you protect me? Would you help me? Would you make sure that I don't allow the wrong things to settle in my life? And ask him for help. The problem comes so many times, though, when people place themselves in the midst of a temptation and they are exposing themselves to the enemy and and their own flesh. And if we start doing that, if we play that game, then we're basically setting ourselves up for spiritual failure. That's why we talked last week and the week before about setting priorities and setting boundaries. Setting your priorities in place before you get into the battle. Setting the priorities in place that these are the lines that I will not cross. And then when the battle comes, you've already made up your mind. I'm not going to do that thing. Or I am going to do that thing. And that, that boundary may be that when I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life to pray, I'm going to pray. I may be with a person in the grocery store and I may feel the presence of the Holy Spirit to say, pray. And, th- and I will have the boldness to stop what I'm doing right then and there and say, hey, can I pray with you? Can I help you? See, it's not just saying no, it's saying yes. The same things. Paul says this in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. He said, beginning at verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, see, you are, you are going to be tempted. He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's the faithfulness of God. The second thing we do is that to take every thought captive requires doing battle against our sinful nature as well as Satan's spiritual forces that would seek to control your thoughts of your mind. That literally means that when a thought comes to my mind, that I immediately take hold of it before it goes any further into my spirit. I don't play with it. I don't see if it makes me feel good in the moment. No, I I recognize what it is, and then I ask myself the questions. I said, how does this measure up to the standards of God's word? In the areas of purity and decency, truth, honesty, integrity, pride, anger management, you name it, and so on. When, When I have this thought come in, I immediately take hold of it, And I place it against God's standards and say, is this what I should be thinking about? Or how should I take captive that thought to make it what God would have me to think about? Right? This means that you you don't dwell on whatever the thought is and let it take control of your mind. Just because a thought comes doesn't mean you have to dwell on it. Just because that temptation comes to do whatever... You don't have to do it if it doesn't measure up with God's word. And maybe you can pray something like this. Maybe you can say, God, here's this thought and this temptation. Take it. You already dealt with it as Jesus suffered from my sin. I need your help with this issue, and I submit my thoughts to you. You see, when I proactively do that, and I bring God into my thought life like that, then I'm helping myself be accountable to God. And I'm inviting the power of the Holy Spirit to help me overcome the influence of the enemy. When I am proactively 
asking the Lord to be a part of my mind's thoughts. I'm not trying to hide them from God. I'm not trying to shield something from him. I mean, come on, folks, that's just stupid. He knows all of our thoughts anyway, so why would I even think about trying to hide something from him? That's just plain stupid. <laughs> stupid is the stupid does. <laughs> why would I do that? No, when I, when I proactively ask the Lord, say, God, here's this thought. Would you take it? Would you help me with this? Would you help me to know how I should deal with this? Do I dwell on it or do I reject it? Then do it. James chapter 4 tells us, beginning of verse 6, but he, God, gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And here's the key. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up as I submit first unto him. There's a humbling required as we submit to God. When we ask for God's help to get through the rough and tumble times of our life, when we humble ourselves and say, Father, I need help. When I recognize the fact that I'm facing a temptation that maybe is too strong for me, then I submit myself to God. Number three, then after submitting your temptation and your thoughts to God, then you need to replace the evil thoughts with the good thoughts of God's word, right? Not just stop thinking about the evil, but now replace what was there with something good. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, the Living Bible Translation. It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are unselfish and considerate in all you do. Remember that the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. And don't forget to thank him for his answers. And then he goes on and he says, if you do this, if you do what I've just said, he gave us some instructions. Now, if you do this, this is the result. Verse 7, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. That's kind of where we were at this morning after worship. We just couldn't even begin to understand the greatness of God, and so we just were kind of speechless. What do we do with this, right? It goes on and says, His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. And now, brothers, as I close this letter, Paul says, let me say this one more thing. Fix your thoughts. Here it is, the battle of your mind. Fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and dwell on the fine good things in others. Think about all you can praise God for and be glad about. Keep putting into practice all you learned from me and saw me doing and the God of peace will be with you. What a comforting passage. Here we have good instruction to do the things that we're to do, and, we, and if we do them, God's peace will take control of my thoughts. That battle in my mind, I can turn it over to God, and he can give me peace in the midst of the turmoil. I want that. That's what I want. If you do these things, these are the kinds of thoughts that will guard your mind against ungodly desires and will help you to say no to what God wants you to say no to 
and to say yes to what he wants you to say yes to. That's the secret, folks. That's the secret. When I can get into God's heart and I can allow him to get into my mind and that he can give me the desires, his desires, and I can understand what he says about the things that are not good for me and the things that are good for me, that's it. That's the motivation I need. But if you need more, last point, point four says, be aware that God knows all your thoughts and nothing is hidden from him. <laughs> be aware that God knows all your thoughts and you cannot hide one thing from him. So if you need help here, this is some more help. Psalms chapter 94, verse 11. The Lord knows people's thoughts. Psalms 139, 1 through 4. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. <laughs> I mean, we cannot hide from God, right? I mean, there, there's nothing you can do, no place you can go to outrun God's presence. He knows. You may be far away in your sin, and he still knows what you're thinking. Can't outrun him. And not only is God aware of every thought and every action, but you and I will give an account for them the day we stand under judgment. Not only does he know them, but, he, but we're going to give an account for our thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the good things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says this, beginning at verse 35, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So what more needs to be said? I mean, if, if everything else wasn't enough motivation to control your thoughts, I'm hoping that these kind of scriptures <laughs> will say, guys, wake up, God's in control, and we're going to be accountable to everything else. Jackie, if you would come, would begin to conclude this message. Now, my prayer over the past number of weeks, as we've been speaking about reaping and sowing and, and more recently on priorities, is that we would establish these priorities and convictions and that we would begin to learn how to live in them. Not just that we would feel guilty, <laughs> not trying to make anybody feel guilty, trying to give tools to how we can operate, how we can live, and how we can be uh, successful and victorious. The gospel message and the power of salvation is the critical foundation of this. The good news of Jesus Christ, his salvation has to happen first. We have to have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in our life. That's day one. And then we have to move on from there and live out our life. And we do this by how we uh, honor God in our obedience, in our choices, and in our thoughts. One last passage, Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. It says, Dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. And he says some very interesting words here. He says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation. 
There are so many people that don't think we need to work in our salvation. That once saved, always saved. Just get saved and live the way you want to live. Let your thoughts run rampant. Let it do whatever you want to do because you're saved by God's grace. But that's not what God's word says. We don't get saved by our works. Our works don't save us. It's by the grace of God that we're saved. All right, now, after that day of salvation, then we, we have to read what Paul talks to the Philippians. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. In other words, other, another translation says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. All right, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Hmm. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. There comes a point in time, guys, when our purpose in life should no longer be to please myself, but to please the Father. When I can get to that point in my salvation, I'm growing up. It means I'm starting to take responsibility. It means I'm growing up in my salvation. When I can have a true desire to please God, more than satisfy my own fleshly needs and desires. That's proof that you're on the right road. But you have to battle for it. I get that. If you continue on in Philippians, the next couple verses says that do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of God, the word of life. Do you remember how we began the message today? We began it by learning that we're to learn to live in the world, but not be of the world. This is how we do it. That we are separating ourselves from the evil influence, but not from the people. Those people that have an evil influence on you need Jesus. They need Jesus just like you need Jesus. Jesus loves them. God loves the, that, that evil person that is giving you the heartache, giving you the problem. God loves them. And we're to love them. And we're to have a burden for them. And the way we win them to Christ is through our love and through our grace and through our mercy. Are we making good choices? Do you need some help in this area? If you do, reach out and ask. I can't read your mind. <laughs> That's what we've been saying all along. I can't read your mind. The person sitting next to you can't read your mind. Your spouse can't read your mind. Your best friend can't read your mind. If you need help, ask for help. Here's, a, here's what it is, folks. It's okay not to be okay. As long as you're not comfortable remaining not okay. <laughs> I mean, there's going to come time in your life when you're hurting and you need help. I get it. That's what we're for. That's why we need church. That's why we need community. That's why we need brothers and sisters in Christ that we can come around each other and say, hey, how you doing? I can't read your mind, but are you doing okay? I'm seeing some things maybe in your actions that might indicate that you need a little help. How can I help? Risk a little bit in your love for your brother and your sister and say, hey, can I help you? Amen? Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we are just uh, a grateful people. So grateful that you've reached down to us and you've given us a way up 
Lord, I pray that you would just give us the strength to be accountable, that we recognize that we truly are responsible for every thought that goes through my mind. I do not have to be held captive to my thoughts, but I can be a victor in my mind as the beginning of the battle. And then you will help me to be victorious in the end as I persevere into that, as I learn to be obedient in Christ, in the battle of the mind, the power of choices, the power of my thoughts. Help me to recognize how much you're there for me in the battle. Lord, tomorrow when we go to our work and we in the evenings when we have our uh, different social events and the, the, all the temptations that would come to us, Father, truly give us a recollection of this message and your word back to us that we can take control of it. Help us not to walk out of here as a victim, but help us to walk out of here victorious. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now before I ask Jackie to sing and Tom I, I'm serious but if you need help ask don't go out here struggling thinking that you're alone because you're not we want to help you we want to be with you we want to help you we want to help you handle the life issues and then as you get strengthened you can go to those that in your influence and you can offer help to them Remember, hurting people hurt people. But a person healed by the blood of Christ can be a healing agent into the world that we live in. Amen? Amen. Jackie, would you lead us in a song? You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance. From my enemies Till all my fears are gone I'm no longer slave to fear I am a child of God fear I am a child of God from my mother's womb you have chosen me Father, thank you for that promise. 
I am no longer a slave to fear or my thoughts or any temptation that would overcome me. I am a, I am a child of God. And I declare my authority as a child. And I declare my authority as an elder in this church to declare authority over this body of people that, that we would be freed from the temptation of what the enemy would bring, the discouragement and the fears and the lack of hope would be gone in Jesus' name. That we would be peaceful, uh, resourceful, confident people knowing that our, our home is in heaven, that we are journeying through this, this life and that we are journeying together and we are helping each other as we go. And I pray, God, that would be the prayer of this body this morning. And that you'd go with us throughout this week. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today.